Good morning, Carpenter's Way. We're going to go ahead and get started with worship, so if y'all stand up. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. God, we love you so much, and Lord, we just ask that you would be in this place today. God, we thank you for everything that you're doing here at Carpenter's Way. Lord, um, I just ask that uh, as VBS is next week, Lord, that you would just be there. God, that you would begin to um, prepare our hearts, Lord, and and just thank you for all the kids that are going to come, Lord. And we just ask that you would be completely here today. Lord, I love you so much. Amen.
Welcome to Carpenter's Way. Uh, it is good to have you worshiping here with us this morning. Uh, my shirt does say yes. Big, bright, <clears throat> blue shirt. And in case you're wondering yes to what, why are you saying yes? Um, this is was our camp t-shirt. We took 25 <clears throat> fourth, fifth, and sixth graders and sponsors to Camp Bethany last week. Uh, in Bethany, Louisiana, and we left on Monday, came back Friday, and that was our theme, uh, just to say yes to the Lord and to opportunities that we have to serve Him. And so here we are, the week of Vacation Bible School. What a more appropriate time to say yes to serving in Vacation Bible School. We have countless, oh my goodness, in the worship guide, we have a a prayer guide, and there were too many volunteers' names to even put on there. So we thank you for for saying yes to serving, to be in the hands and feet of Christ this week. Bible school, uh, Bible study classes, and providing meals uh, for Clear Ministry, who is leading worship with us on stage. This is our. I was counting back this morning. I believe our tenth, eleventh summer that we've had Clear Ministries come to lead out in our children's vacation Bible school. So they're just, they're coming home. They're coming home. So we're glad to have them this morning and glad to have you as well. Uh, I'm supposed to be saying the welcome. And uh, so I guess it means everybody stand up, hug a neighbor, shake a hand. It's good to see you this morning. is not good for you. It'll make you all sugary and a diabetic, so. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is good to be here. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time for our offering. I'm going to highlight a couple things, and then we'll get on with our service. As Alicia said, this is Vacation Bible School Week, but this is also a week when we have a team of just under 30 people in Brazil right now. They're on the river in a boat. We have a big debate on Wednesday night whether or not it's a ship or a boat, but it is a ship, in fact, that I will call a boat, just to be politically correct. And they are heading down the Amazon, going to take a week where they will be ministering in villages, sharing Christ with people. That's just under 30 folks. We've got people on vacation all over the place doing stuff and ministering. So it's an exciting time at Carpenter's Way and outside of Carpenter's Way. So uh, lots of space around you. Feel free to lay down as as you need to this morning during the message. If you do, though, I will preach at you. But it is good to be here. Julie and uh, Annie and Zach and I have been on vacation for a couple weeks, and we had a wonderful time up in Ohio with Julie's family. Uh, It is is very pretty in Ohio. Um, It's just as sunny here, but but, but there's less humidity. It is hot here. Yeah, so uh, nonetheless, we had a wonderful time. It's good to be home. No place like home. Click, click, click. (laughs) That was a Wizard of Oz joke. So 
but it is it is good to be home. Good to be with you. Uh, we uh, take some time to look at the worship guide. There are stuff, man. If you did not sign up to help out with Vacation Bible School and you're looking for a ministry opportunity, we're we're looking for folks to come and pray during the week. That's information in there. Uh, the schedule uh, for Vacation Bible School this week, uh, Wednesday night is uh, there's not going to be normal church. We're going to have VBS family night, so if you want to come out for that, we encourage you to. Uh, as I said, the information is in the worship guide, so please uh, take the opportunity to, to look at that. Also want to mention uh, that in the worship guide, we have our mission moment. It's the Davis family. They are our missionaries to Guatemala, and uh, we will be uh, joining them. How many folks are going? Thirteen of our people, and, and uh, you don't have the date on there. What's the date of that? 31st of July, our team will go and be with them and serve with them for a week. Uh, the Overbees are leading that trip, 13 folks. So uh, this is who we will be serving with. They are a relatively new family that we're supporting. So please be, uh, please read this, put it on your um, refrigerator. Our goal is the front of your refrigerator doesn't look stainless steel or white anymore. It looks like a bunch of missionaries. And uh, we want you to be praying for, for those folks as well. And um, one more time, we do cover your prayer for Vacation Bible School this week. This is such a significant time. So... Um, I'm going to pray. Uh, we're not going to be in um, uh, in James today. We'll get back into there next week. I was actually not supposed to be here this morning, but Yesu Potam and Monica got stuck in Germany, so uh, you you're st you got stuck with me. <laughs> Lucky you. Um, I I always say that uh, 98 percent, 95, 98 percent of what I what I preach is verse by verse stuff. This morning, I'm going to actually do a topical message this morning. Why you should pay your pastor better than you do. That's the topic. No, it's going to be a good time. It's going to set us up for Vacation Bible School and discipling kids. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. We're going to commit our time to the Lord. If you are visiting, uh, we ask that you uh, not give anything this morning. This is, this is the one thing we do that's just our families. Just pass the plate as it comes by. Uh, we don't want you distracted by money. Our hope and our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus having been with us. Uh, we certainly want you to come back, and we want to get to know you and minister to you. But uh, a lot of distraction with money, and, and, and God will take care of us through, through those who attend here regularly. So thanks for being here. And those who are watching by the way of Internet, we're going to have communion this morning. So grab a piece of bread and some grape juice. And if you don't have that, we'll, uh, orange juice works too. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather together in, in, uh, in this place that's been set aside for you and, and worship and, and be led in worship by this team that's going to be ministering this week. Lord, I, uh, for those who aren't going to be involved, they're not going to know the energy that fills this place. Uh, the hundreds of kids that will walk through this place and hear about Jesus Christ and be discipled. We thank you for this uh, college-age group uh, that, that would come in and disciple children, invest their summer. Lord, th these young men and women don't only offer themselves to serve you. They paid for the privilege, and uh, that's pretty cool. Um, thank you for making the message worthwhile. Thank you that this isn't just a religious thing or an organization thing, but this is a God thing, a true relationship thing with the living God. I pray, Father, that you would not let our sin distract us from you this morning. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that we stand before you pure and holy. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit, which reigns in the hearts of your children, would speak to us in a very powerful way. And now, Lord, as we give back financially to you, uh, we pray that you would bless these, thing, these uh, monies. We will be careful to use them and be good stewards of them. We pray you would bless those who give courageously. And for those who are away, our, our family in Brazil, Father, the folks that are traveling on vacation, uh, the folks that are watching by way of Internet, we pray you would bless them. And uh, I pray it just be a cool day together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
You can be seated. Thank you, Clear. Appreciate you leading us in worship this morning. We are excited about Vacation Bible School. And uh, it is amazing that we're here again. We'll dismiss the kids at this time uh, for GPS. <clears throat> it's amazing that we're back at Vacation Bible School 2016. How many of you are going to be a part of it? Adults involved in the ministry? Lots and lots of positions are going to be filled. Thank you for that. How many of you went to VBS as a child, Vacation Bible School? A great majority of you. Uh, how many of you, was anybody here saved at a Vacation Bible School? Gave their life to Christ at Vacation Bible School? Quite a few of you. That's, that is exciting. We are blessed uh, at Carpenter's Way to have so many ministries that help us raise our children up in the knowledge of the Lord. Um, and uh, one of the things, and, and I, I've shared this with you in the past, when, when Donna was running our children's ministry is when I came into Carpenter's Way. Um, I got the privilege to go to be with Clear and go to camp and to watch them model worship. There's so many things that happen to camp, and I've, I've shared this with you before, but especially on the level of our children. What is it, starting fourth grade, I think, is when we start taking the kids? Is that right, Donna, about fourth grade? It's amazing to take a fourth grade kid, which i got to tell you something, when they go, it's like, are we, should we be taking kids of this age away? <laughs> But when we take them away to watch them sit and learn, and it's, it's not their parents sitting and learning, it's them, and, and to see them worshiping and, and to model worship, um, that it is an acceptable uh, response to what God has done for you, and to have, have a whole camp geared around that is so important for our children and their upbringing. Um, and it's, it's such a wonderful ministry, and, and we really appreciate all that Clear does, and you guys are about to have an exciting summer. Is, how long have you guys been actually going at this now? Is this week two? But you did training before that, right? So how many weeks have you actually been? Three? So they give you one week training? Good luck. That's just like pastoring. It's like all that training, isn't it? It's like wait, nobody told me that these people were like this. Not you guys. Every other minister I've been in. But uh, um, uh, th this summer, uh, whether you're aware of it or not, and it actually started I think a week ago this past Wednesday, in our student and children's ministry, our summer activities kicked off. And then this last week, as Alicia had said, we were hoping to have some slides from uh, preteen uh, pre camp. Um, we had a 25-ish group go to camp. Uh, and then this week, uh, by the time it's done, we'll have well over 100 kids involved in our VBS program. And, and I just got to tell you, if you're out and about, sneak in and look. This place is, this place is awesome. Uh, what happens and how they lead and, and, and what they teach the kids. So, so be looking in on that. And then, uh, and then our students go to camp next week. And uh, Jeff, where are you? Are you back there? How, many kids, how many kids and staff are you taking? 60. Um, now, just to give you an idea, that's 60 kids going there. We had 25 last week. We've got, we'll have dozens, if not hundreds, this week. And then uh, last Wednesday night was the summer kickoff for our student ministry, and Jeff had 125 students go uh, to be a part of that. Uh, needless to say, the numbers start adding up, and obviously they're duplicates, but there will be hundreds of kids that we have the privilege of ministering to and discipling and reaching for Christ by the end of summer. Summer is a very, very significant active time in our ministry at Carpenter's Way. Um, and that being the case, um, this morning I'd like to talk to you about how we disciple the next generation effectively, and I want to say biblically. Um, <clears throat> the reason is, is, is there needs to be moments when we step back and we look at what's going on around us. And I, this, this is a very unique time in Christendom. Um, one, of the, one of the things that's happened in Christendom in the past 50 years is we have melded politics with Christianity. And that has become dangerous in ways that you can't possibly imagine. Because we have, uh, we have turned the question of what's going on in our culture into a moral political question when it is a spiritual question at its core. 
Um, the problem with the United States of America is not a left-wing agenda. It is not a gay agenda. It is not a transgender agenda. It is not a post-moral agenda. The problem with America is, is we live in a time that God is being rejected as he is. And I want to add to that that I think even inside of the church we reject God as he is. Uh, the fact is we keep recreating him in the culture, time, and energy that we want uh, when there is truth to be known that doesn't change through time. His name is, is God, Jehovah. Jehovah doesn't change. I am God. I change not, he said. And, and sometimes we have a tendency politically to look at what's going on around us, and we look at two people that, that one of two is probably going to be president of this country, and you go, oh, they're both bankrupt morally, and, and you get frustrated, and you go, what are we going to do? And the answer is do the same thing we should have been doing all along, and that's walking with God. Um, the imperative of the church is not to fix culture. It's to introduce people to Jesus Christ. But we forget that. That's our job. Our job is to invade a post-moral world with the truth, with hope. We act like the most helpless, hopeless people alive in the church today because of what's going on around us when, in fact, there's never been a greatest greater time in the history of this country when hope is more necessary and hope is more available to the children of God. As darkness reigns, the light shines brighter in it. And, and, and therefore, um, our ministries, our thought processes, we have to step back and look, what does God want from us? What does he want us to do? And especially as it relates to how we bring up the next generation. I want you to understand that the children that will be ministered to this week, that were ministered to last week, that will be ministered to next week in Colorado are not the church of tomorrow. They are, in fact, the church of today. They are, in fact, God's family if they have accepted Christ. Whether seven years of age or 75 years of age, the truth is that we are the family of God. No matter what our background, our culture, our, our color, our socioeconomic status, no matter where we live on this planet, we are the family of God. I want to wrestle with one of the songs that was sung this morning. It said that we are the kingdom of God. No, we're not. We're the children of God, which is way better than being the kingdom of God. Because in a kingdom, you're a royal servant. In a family, you're a royal child. And the Jews were a royal nation. We are a royal people, the children of the living king. We have been a, where they were, uh, they were stolen by God to be his people, chosen by him. We have been chosen to be adopted. We are much greater than the kingdom of God. We are the children of God. And wherever we live and wherever we go, it is not imperative on us to make the world God's kingdom. It is imperative upon us to let people know that they are invited to be the children of God. Our job is not to make transgender people straight or gay people right. Our job is to introduce them to a God who transcends their sin. We are not asking them to join our moral culture. We are asking them to join our family. Jesus Christ did not come to set up a kingdom. He came to forgive kingdomless people. One day we will join him. But for now, we have been sent. And it starts in our family. It starts in our hearts and with our children. And, and, and there's some confusion on that. Ministry to children isn't a new concept. In, in fact, I am certain that you remember the story found in each of the Gospels where Jesus ministered to kids specifically. Uh, in fact, look at Mark's version of what happened. Uh, all the Gospels tell this story, but Jesus has just finished in Mark 10. He has just finished arguing, and he seems to be still in the midst of debating with the Pharisees of his day over religion. How do you get to his father's kingdom? And they're trying to disprove Jesus, so he's in this major theological debate when this happens. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples, you know, 
the 12 good ones, scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and he placed his hand on their heads and he blessed them. I want to take a moment. I want to ask God to speak to us. Father, I, I ask you now. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our heads. Change the way we view ministry and life and our responsibility in this culture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, I find this story in all four of the Gospels to have a weird context, uh, to, to be found in, in an odd place. In, in fact, it's, as I had already mentioned, that Jesus in, is in the middle of his ministry of healing and preaching and inviting people to have a relationship through, with his Father through him. He, he's going into synagogues. He's heading to the cross. He's doing formal things. He's gathering crowds and preaching to them. But in the middle of this, he's, he, he, there are many times There are many times when after an intense time of ministry, Jesus seems to want to get away with his father or with the disciples. And every time he goes somewhere, there's a crowd there. And he does the same thing he does with the children here. He hangs out with the crowd. He doesn't go, oh, man, I just, I just need to get away. I need a break. I need a vacation. He just ministers to them. And, and that's what happens here. You've got this debate You've got this debate going on, and, and the disciples are trying to give Jesus some rest, as any good elder team would. Just please give the master some time. But Jesus gets angry, because that's the kind of guy Jesus was. That's what Jesus did. That's the kind of mojo there was around him. While the disciples are trying to keep people away from him through organization and structure, that we would find admirable. If you go to a Christian concert, you have security. If you go to a Christian event, you have time. After the event, the preacher wants to eat and sleep. There's a story of D.L. Moody. I, I love D.L. Moody. But he goes, and he's had a large preaching week. At the end of the week, um, they decide to have a big rally at the church that had sponsored him. And so they take him to the place where he's going to eat. And one of the deacons stands up, and he decides to wax eloquent during his prayer. And the, history, the legend is that D.L. Moody gets up in the middle of the prayer and says, Deacon Smith, we thank you for such an eloquent prayer and your love for Jesus. But if you would take it back into the sanctuary, we would like to eat dinner. Kind of a bold thing, but what a jerk. The fact is that Jesus was tired, Jesus was working hard, but that's why Emmanuel came. Remember that the prophecy is that Emmanuel will come. That means God with us. If you were to really translate into, into modern jargon, the truth is Jesus Christ is God hanging out among us. He's not preaching at us. He's not healing us. He's not doing what we want him to do. He's just hanging out with us. That's the uniqueness of the incarnation of Christ, is that he came here and he hung out with us. He didn't just hang out with us when he's preaching. Um, this is such a weird thing for a rabbi to do. And, and I want you to notice that the parents who bring their children to Jesus have no qualms about bringing them to him. They, they don't even seem to have a problem with the kids jumping all over his lap. Because their sense of Jesus is he's the kind of rabbi that you can play with. This story tells me that, Jesus, that Jewish parents love their kids in a way we love our kids. I mean, even people who don't go to church, even people who don't claim to be a child of God, pray for their children. Did you know that? 
They pray that they're wise. They pray that they're successful. Even your unsaved friends will often ask you, who are as a child of God, hey, pray for my kid. They're sick. Jewish parents in this story and in this culture love their kids enough to ask this guy who was doing unbelievable miracles to please lay hands on their children and bless them. They may not have acknowledged him as a Messiah. They may not even have cared. All they knew was this guy can do some pretty darn cool stuff, and I need him to put his blessing, his mojo, that, that supernatural stuff on my kid. They loved their kids. They wanted Jesus to bless them just like you do. Secondly, now you know that people um, thought Jesus was the kind of guy that they could bring their kids do, to. His reputation preceded them. But something weird happens. As these people feel comfortable to bring their, their children to Jesus, the disciples tell, uh, to, tell the parents off for bothering him when he wasn't preaching or it wasn't the blessing time. Whatever it is they were thinking, it smells to me like a lot like the Jewish religious leaders in the story of Good Samaritan as they walk by a wounded, dying Jewish man on the way to the temple to do ministry. These disciples, according to the scriptures, scolded the parents and attempt to run their kids off because they are, quote-unquote, bothering the master. I mean, think of the depth of this. He's done. Have you ever been to a, a restaurant that you're paying perfectly good small amounts of money to, and the waitress keeps walking by when you need more tea? And you say, excuse me, Will you get me more tea? And she seems bothered that you asked for tea. And you think to yourself, what is it you're here for? Let me make it more personal. When you were in college or in high school, did you have a teacher who upfront personality was, was, was drawing and interesting? And after class, you wanted to get to know them better. But when you approach them, it's like, class is over, not interested. Well, that's what the disciples thought Jesus was. Even though they had hung out with him, they expected that his time to minister was during organizational moments, but when it was over, it's over. That's why they scold the parents and tell them that they're bothering the master. The thing is, that's not what Jesus is like. It says that Jesus got angry with his disciples for doing this. The Greek says angry, actively angry. In fact, it infers that he gets indignant and tells them off. I'm not sure it tells us everything he said to them here. He probably added something like, what are you doing? Don't you have any idea that I'm Emmanuel, God with us, hanging out among people? Now, I don't, I don't want to spend much more time this morning debating the rest of this story or what it means that unless you're one of, like, one of these children, you can't see the kingdom of God or what theological truths he's teaching because I want to talk about what actually happened in that moment. Do you remember uh, John 3.17? It tells us that after that famous verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The next verse that we often don't know actually says that, he, that the father sent his son into the world to seek and save that which is lost. The father sent Jesus to go and seek out, not just draw crowds into his synagogue, not just gather, gather groups for his programming, not just feed 5,000 and then get a stage and preach, but actually go and find the lost whenever they, and wherever he found them, and he was to meet with them, whatever their age, in whatever location, and whatever condition he found them. That his most significant ministry wasn't, doing, wasn't done in the synagogue's preaching, but actually at the, at the side of the road when he's tired from preaching and people bring their kids up to him. But the disciples thought, like your professor or your waitress, that this was not the proper time to be bothering Emmanuel. For God is only with us when he's doing ministry. 
Jeff made a comment last week in his message, and, uh, and I think it fits, and it's really what, what got me thinking about what I wanted to share with you this week when I found out Yesu Potom wasn't coming. coming. He made the statement in, that, uh, that we should never try to serve God without walking with God. My brothers and sisters, that, my friends, is the mistake of the church today. No one would argue that these disciples walked with God. But they didn't understand him because they didn't really know him. I'm not saying they weren't saved. I'm simply saying that they still thought he was setting up a kingdom. How do I know that? Because in the upper room, at the Last Supper, they're still sitting among themselves arguing who's going to be the greatest in that kingdom. And Jesus says, I came to serve. I didn't come to set up a kingdom. You see, the kingdom is coming. But it ain't here now. Now's the time of invitation to get people adopted into the family of God. It's not time to set up the council and be on that council. It's time to invite the, 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 the wicked, the sinful, the needy, the desperate, the target goers. That's what this season is for. It's to take children who need blessing and their parents and to let them jump all over the Messiah's lap because that's why he came. In Luke chapter 10, 30 to 37, we have a, the story of the Good Samaritan. Let me just read it to you again, because I think you have the same problem in this story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, take note of who it was, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. <laughs> nice. Don't get pulled over with a, past, a pastor coming by. He won't help you with your flat tire. Verse 32, then a temple assistant walked by and looked at him lying there, and he also passed by on the other side of the road. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and he saw the man. He felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and, and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him into the, to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two, uh, two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, there's a lot of conversation about the fact that these, the Jewish priests and the temple assistant don't stop and help their poor Jewish brother. Uh, people love to debate about it, but most theologians agree that uh, it was the Jewish purification laws that kept these two people from actually ministering to them. They're on their way to the temple, and if they stop to help a man who's bleeding at the side of the road, they are not purified, so they can't make their way the rest of their journey to the temple and minister in the temple. And after all, that was their calling. There's only one problem with that. God did not start Judaism to establish a religion. He started Judaism so that the world could come to know him and be adopted into his family through his sacrificial son, Jesus Christ. You see, it is so easy for Jews. It is so easy for Jews to get so stuck in their religious duty and responsibility that they forget that it's about people, not program. In their minds... It was not time for them to minister to robbed and left for dead Jews on the side of the road. It was time for them to get to the temple. People were waiting. Mark 10, 13. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. I know what you're thinking. Well, how is that we disciple in 2016? What does this have to do with Vacation Bible School? This is an odd message for VBS and I, I simply want to make a couple simple points before communion this morning. VBS camps, Wednesday night activities, and Sunday morning ministries are enough to teach people theology. 
but they do not help us to develop godly men and women of God who courageously stand for him in this culture. It doesn't do the job. And that's not how Jesus did it. And that's not how the Jews were taught to do it. In fact, I'd like to say that what we are doing at Vacation Bible School and Wednesday nights and camps and at Bible studies and on Wednesday night programs and, and, and Sundays really only tee up the ball for what needs to be happening to make disciples, not just make little Christians. Are you aware that God wrote, uh, God wrote through Moses in the Torah, the first five books of the law, how to disciple or parent and raise children in the knowledge and love of Jehovah God? Look at it with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 to 9. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on the forehead on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. You see, what God wanted the Jews to do is he wanted them to live out what was true in their own lives. I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but every religious Jewish child actually back then and today grows up going to Hebrew school. Did you know that? In other words, from their earliest days of education, and I'm talking about two and three years of age, they're taken and they're taught the Hebrew language. And do you know why they're taught the Hebrew language? Can anybody guess? So that they can read the scriptures. Zach and I had the privilege, or Zach had the privilege of performing at a very conservative Jewish school fundraiser a couple weeks ago. And uh, when we got in there, we realized just how Jewish this group was. I mean, we're talking really, really Jewish. Every time they walk in the room, they kiss the verse on the door. The women don't touch the men. Full of rabbis. Fascinating time. Interesting. And what we realized is, as we sat, and, and there was one teacher in the school that had just moved from Jerusalem to, uh, to New Orleans, Louisiana, to teach Hebrew. She was not a religious Jew. And so when the religious Jews were gone, she started sharing with us about the uniqueness of the school and how much she was enjoying her time. And so I started asking her about how they teach Hebrew. And she says, in infancy, as early as the children are taken home, after they're circumcised as males or young ladies, when they come home, they begin speaking Hebrew to their children. And I said, well, then what is there to teach? She said, no, you don't understand. They don't translate it for the children. They just speak it. And the kids learn the words. It's my job to teach them what the words mean. And we do that by studying the Old Testament scriptures. The Torah. The five first books of the Bible. The fact is that every Jewish child in a religious Jewish home grows up learning Hebrew even before they understand what Hebrew means. So that they can study the scriptures. In this fundraising booklet that we got, there was a listing of the 613 laws that have been added to the first 10 laws so that you can keep those 10. That's what they teach the children. The value system of the school was based on those 300, uh, 613 laws 
and that's why they have the school. Because we not only want to, uh, they not only want to raise leaders, they want to raise Jewish leaders, religiously Jewish leaders. I met two young ladies, 13 and 14 years of age, whose whole goal in life is to go to Jerusalem and marry a rabbi. That's their goal. We're talking extremely Jewish. You see, if you're a Jewish, uh, religious Jew back in the Old Testament times, or even today, you grow up under highly organized Jewish training. But despite all of the formal Jewish Hebraic training, here is what God instructed the parents to do. Look at it again. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God, through Moses, who, by the way, invented Hebrew school, was saying, first and foremost, in your discipleship of your children, of raising up the next generation of Jews, I want you to love me. You. You must love me. That's what you've got to do above everything else. Before sending them to Hebrew VBS, before sending them out, I want you to be in love with me. Number two, I want you to understand the laws I've given you as Jews. I want you to understand this law. I want you to know it. I want you to obey it. And then, after loving me and after obeying my law, then I want you to teach it to your children. And that doesn't mean Hebrew school or VBS. That means on top of Hebrew school and VBS, when you're lying down and your kids are on your chest, when you're playing not, uh, Yahtzee, when you're sitting around and you're, you're, you're playing and you're walking and you're traveling and you're, you're working, you're to teach your kids. When, when you walk in the house, talk about the doorpost and remind them of the exodus. When you sit down, when you stand up, when you get up in the morning, when you lie down, bring Jehovah into the conversation because you can't help yourself. Because what we're doing here, Jews, is we are raising men and women of God up, not little Jews. Because the truth is, God isn't interested in having little Baptists or Christians or Jews. He's interested in having children. You want to know the tragedy here? Look at what Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says. The Judges, it's the generation after the Jews leave Egypt. Remember, they leave Egypt, they sin, they, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness, they die, next generation comes up, they make it into the promised land, and look what it says about them. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge God or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. What? The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. Now, don't get this wrong. They were still doing the Jewish thing. The kids were still growing up in Hebrew school. They were still doing Hebrew VBS. But what they weren't doing is living it. They no longer loved God. They no longer obeyed God. They were just passing down ritual. The reason this happened is not because they were not religious enough or the kids didn't go to Hebrew school, but because they were trying to simply mail in discipleship and parenting without personally loving God and being invested. The day of having a culture that is clean, middle class, and moral is over. It's done, baby. 
You can spend every day of the rest of your life trying to get the right Congress and the right Senate and the right president in, but I got bad news for you. If the Jews couldn't do it with Jesus as their king, we ain't going to do it as a nation with Trump as our king or Hillary or even Gary Johnson. It ain't going to happen. If Romney runs, he's not going to fix this country no matter how Mormon he is. Because the problem with the United States of America is not a morality problem, it's a spirituality problem. And you as the children of God and I as the children of God must understand that. You can vote, and you should. But at the end of the day, what is going to transform hearts and lives is the Holy Spirit living in the people of this culture. That's all that's going to make the difference. And I know we say that, but we've got to believe it. If you want to protect your children from a transgender culture, it is not making that illegal. It is It is protecting them through the power of the Holy Spirit from the sexual desires that make you crazy in your thinking. It is not going on Fox News and screaming people down because they love someone of their own gender. It is showing them that God has offered us a better way. We are not inviting them to a moral culture. We're inviting them to be the children of the living God. And if all we do is send our people to camp, and send them to vacation Bible school, and send them to Bible, st- uh, Bible school, and hope beyond hope that those teachers are on their game, I assure you that your children will grow up Baptist, but they will not grow up loving Jesus Christ. And I got news for you. Being Baptist without Jesus still gets you hell just a lot more moral. It is about Jesus. It's not about morality. It's not about the law. It's not about figuring out where we come from. It is about knowing the living God who sent his son, Emmanuel, to hang out with us. And the best ministry is not done within the walls of the church and within the organization of the church. It's done outside of that, and this builds on that. This adds to that. One of the most alarming things that happened to me when when I was a family pastor in a church and a youth pastor One of the most alarming things was when a kid would give his life to Christ and start living for it, and the parents would freak out. I remember one parent in particular who came to me and said, you know, we're a little uncomfortable with how serious our kid is getting, aren't you? And they told their kid, why don't you go out and hang out with some non-church kids for a while just to keep you balanced? There's a fear of people radically walking with God. You know why? Because they have a tendency to make relationships with people who are really messed up. If we start acting like Jesus... We start getting messy like Jesus. But you know, if your passion is for more than morality, if your passion is for more than saving a country, it's actually for helping people know forgiveness, grace, and mercy, you're going to hang out with messed up folks. No matter how uncomfortable it gets, because that, my friends, is our calling as the children of God. It's not to restore this country to something it never was. It's to introduce people into a personal relationship with the living God who loves them so much that he sent his son as Emmanuel to hang out among them at parties where, where, where you couldn't even fathom going, to be with people that did things that we can't even imagine doing so that he could introduce them to a grace they can't even imagine experiencing. And that's been given to us. If you want to raise a man or woman of God, it's going to have to start with you being a man or woman of God. That's not a church thing. It's not a carpenter's way thing, and it isn't a repentance thing. It's an honest thing. I know you're probably sick of this passage, 
I grew up hearing that the church of today is Laodicea. I don't think so. I think we're Ephesus, and I want you to see why. Jesus wrote this letter, and you've heard me read it. I'm going to read it one more time, and I want you to think about what he's saying to this church. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus Christ wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus. This is 50 years after Paul wrote the, the, the letter of Ephesians. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You have discovered they're liars. That's good. Your theology is impeccable, he's saying. You have patiently suffered without quitting. How cool is that? But I have this complaint against you. Look. It's possible to be doctrinally sound, to be programmatically perfect. It's possible to be on your game and not in love with Jesus. And that may explain why people aren't running to the cross. Because we're so busy screaming the morality of the church without screaming about the grace of the one who birthed the church. It is possible for us today to work hard for the kingdom, to put on Sunday schools and VBS and camps, as possible it is, as it is for the Jews to send their kids to Hebrew school and still lose our kids because we don't love God and we don't walk with Him. And so why should our kids? Why should they take God seriously if we do not? Revelation 2.5, God threatens the church of Ephesus with this. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from, uh, from its place among the churches. Here's the ironic part of that threat. He does not threaten to shut them down. The church is the lampstand. You realize that we're not the light of the world, right? I mean, I know the church loves to sing songs about that. You are not the light. You're the lampstand. Who is the light? Jesus Christ. So we hold up Jesus Christ. We're that candle stand, right? What's he saying here? If you don't fall in love with me again, I'm going to remove your lampstand. In other words, you're going to be able to hold, go ahead and keep meeting. You can keep singing songs about me. You can keep doing your little VBS and your little Sunday school. But I'm going to remove the lampstand. In other words, the world's not going to see me through you. You're going to be an irrelevant group of people who sit around talking about me but really don't love me. That was his threat to them. That is a scary threat. It is worse than God destroying a church. Because what happens if a church sits around and talks to herself, thinking she's doing good work, every week slamming people for their sin without realizing that our message is that God is not counting your sins against you? That's the task of the church. To tell people that God isn't counting their sins against them. Not to tell them that they're sinners. They know they're sinners. And sure, that's part of the conversation. But that's the small opening to the conversation. The rest of the conversations is Ephesians where it says, but God who is rich in wisdom and mercy. But God, but before you can tell others, you've got to believe it yourself. You've got to believe it yourself. Parents, it's not too late to change things if you've fallen out of love for Jesus. Moms, your kids are going to be at VBS this week, God willing. Don't let it end at VBS. Talk with them when they get home. And don't just go, what games did you play? Talk with them about what they heard. Correct bad theology. Tell them why what's true. You know, a little heresy is good for the church. It creates dialogue. It gets us to get into the Word again. That's why I'm not worried about being 100% right, although I am. 
I want you to think. Teach your kids to think. Don't teach them to hate. Listen to the lessons of this week and share with them what God has shown you. Let them share with you what God is showing them. Men, don't just take your kids fishing for catfish. Teach them to be fishers of men. When you're walking at a gas station in Texarkana and a redneck full of bus, full of rednecks walks in and you go, oh, I'm back in the South. Those are people Jesus died for. Even if they're wearing cowboy boots, no shirt, and bad shorts. And it's 7 o'clock in the morning and they got three beers that size. You know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like that. I was up north for a week and all of a sudden, whoa, let me tell you something. There's a bunch of weird up there too. But Jesus is Emmanuel for those people. Let them come with their beers and their, their, their boots and their shorts and their dirty shirts. Let them come. When you're tired and you just want to watch, I don't know, whatever's on TV, turn it off. Teach your kids about God. When your kids come back from camp and you're tired and they've had a whirlwind experience and they want to share with you what God taught them but you're tired, stay up all night. Let them come. Get out of the way and give them Jesus. Let them come. Grandparents, don't forget to speak to your grandchildren of what God has done for you and let them see him living in you. Let them see you loving them, even if they don't seem to care. Men and women, programming is not the only way we minister to our children. It is a starting point. It is a, it is a supplement to what you're doing in your lives. Walk with God. Because if you don't, we're going to be just like the, the Jews and Judges. We'll teach them about the Bible and they'll go to VBS and they'll walk an aisle and then they'll go to college and never want anything to do with it again. Why? Because we never told them what God did for us. How do you do ministry of discipleship to the next generation in 2016? You live it. You love Him. You walk with Him. Not because you have to, but because you're in love with Him. I'm going to ask our elders to come up as we time or prepare for communion. I want you to think this morning as we take communion together of what you love. Every one of us in this room, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or, or just somebody in the church, you have contact with kids. And if all you do is watch CNN and Fox News, you're going to think the world is in trouble. I got news for you. The world has always been in trouble, but we are the lampstand of hope and light. And never, ever has there been a more wonderful opportunity to share hope with people because everybody's hopeless except the body of Christ. Oh yeah, we're hopeless too. <laughs> not us, not, not, not me. What a wonderful time to be alive. When I can go into Target and use the men's restroom. That's funny. It's still legal. When, when I can walk into an art gallery and it's full of homosexuals and I can stand next to one and I can enjoy the art. 
when I can sit with a scientist who's an atheist and I can see God in what he doesn't see. What a beautiful time to live when people are free to express their doubt and their questions and their fear and I can express my hope. What a wonderful time to raise kids at Lovekin High School to tell them that what you see in school does not reflect what you know in your heart, that God is a God of hope and peace and joy. What a wonderful time to be alive. And yes, some of us will be martyred. What a wonderful way to go, as long as it's not me. What a wonderful time to live when our country is rejecting morality and we get to tell them God is merciful anyway. What a wonderful time to live Raise up warriors of mercy. Please. Because we can't do it at VBS. That takes place at home and at the mall and at Walmart and at the truck stop. When your kids go and you go, it's okay. Emmanuel came for them too. That's not just Christmas. That's not just Christmas, honey. That's every day. Well, where is he? He's in here. Can I buy your beer today? Whoa, that's not very Baptist of you. I am not a Baptist. It's a cult. I'm a child of the living God, and I will never go back. Led by the Holy Spirit and His Word, and I will love the unlovely, and I will minister to those who disgust me, because that's what Jesus did for me. And it starts in my home. Please, join me. As we pass the elements this morning, let's go ahead. I want to remind you of what these mean. Child of God, if, if you know this, then just go ahead and spend time talking to him. When Jesus was at the Last Supper, it was the Seder service, it was the Passover service, and he's sitting at the table. And These Jews had been doing it since they were born. I mean, this was, these were Jewish men. And he takes a piece of bread that is broken every year in the service. And he says, listen, listen, boys, you're not going to understand this, but you're going you're to remember this, so pay attention. This bread, and they had every year seen this one piece of bread broken. He said, this bread, this bread that you, you knew would be hidden and you'd search for it, it would give you hope that that was part of the service. He said, this bread actually is me. And this is my body. Watch, watch. It's broken for you. It's going to be broken in about 18 hours, and you're going to freak out, but I'm telling you, I'm doing it for you, and I love you, and you're going to remember this. This is my body that's broken for you. Take it in. Eat it. Accept it as your hope and your gift. Accept it, my child. You know what they did? James and John are kicking each other under the table, wondering who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Peter's going, I can't believe he said I'm going to doubt him. And Judas is going, uh... I think I better get busy. I got something going on tonight. But Jesus kept going. Why? Because truth is truth and mercy is mercy and God is faithful when we are not. God is faithful when we are not. Talk with him, my friends. Talk with your daddy.
Bread is Emmanuel. It didn't save us. It said that it was worth paying the physical price to save us. It said, I'll hang out with sinners and I'll, I'll be rejected by men and I'll be beaten up. The bread is Emmanuel. The blood removes our sin. The bread says, I went way beyond forgiving you. I like you. God is not mad at you. He's mad about you. So much so that he sent his son to hang out with you, Emmanuel. Merry Christmas, my friends. It's the same story over and over again in the scriptures. You must love him if you want your kids to love him. And to love him, you've got to know him. And to know him, you've got to spend time with him. And to spend time with him, you're going to have to turn off TV. Even if it's an 80-inch beautiful HD 4K TV. Now, if it's a super high-definition television, you can spend a little less time with God, but not if it's a 4K. My friends, he's Jesus. And wait till you see TV in heaven. It's worth waiting for. So he took the bread, and he's looking at these guys who are arguing. He goes, shh, 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 just a minute. Listen, you're not going to get this. Look, watch. This bread is my body. Watch. Take it. You're going to get it later. Just take it. Take it. You don't get it now. Take it. Father God, thank you. Thank you for not just floating down on a cloud, putting them on a cross, bleeding, and going back. Thank you for hanging out for 33 and a half years. Thank you for spending people with time with children when you were tired and Pharisees who would reject you and a guy named Pilate who was still going to kill you even if you had a conversation with him and a thief on the cross who would mock you and another one who would be with you in paradise. Thank you for spending time with Judas who would reject you and Peter who would deny you. Thank you for spending time with John who would rebuke you and for James who wouldn't understand you and Thomas, who would doubt you. Thank you for spending time with people like me who would reject you and sin against you and not care. Thank you for spending time with us this morning in a church that forgets it's not about programming. Thank you, God, for being that bread that was broken for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture tells us in like manner, he took the, he took, uh, the, the cup, uh, in front of you, these men are going to pass out. Go ahead. Uh, cups of, of grape juice. It's not wine. It's just, just simple Welch's grape juice, unless we got it cheaper somewhere. It looks like blood. Because the scripture tells us that it's through the shedding of his blood that there was forgiveness of our sins. It, it wasn't just his obedience. It wasn't just his body being broken. His, our sins had to be forgiven. It wasn't enough for him to want us to be his children. He had to pay the price for our adoption. So Jesus bled. He bled. And this is the good news. Your sins have been forgiven if you have accepted his offer to forgive your sins. It's a gift. And if you have, you are his child today, no matter what you did last night. 
You stand before him according to Colossians 1, pure and holy. You are right with him because of what he did. He has declared you right. But sometimes you've got to slow down and think about the price he paid to declare us right so that we fall in love with him again. And as he said to the church of Ephesus, I say it to us this morning, run back and love him like you did at first. And then love each other like you did at first. Run back. Embrace him. Thank him for his mercy and his grace. Because it still applies for you even if you're bad at being his kid. It still applies to you. And by the way, if you're bad at being his kid and you're living in a way that's bad at being his kid, knock it off. You don't have to live like that. You have been given the ability to walk with him. So do it. Lord Jesus, we love you. Speak to us now and you're quiet. sing a song today about not being religion anymore? I want to know how good you are. Can you play it without words in front of you? The chorus? Can you sing that for us? You're that good, aren't you? Listen to the words. I guess what I'm asking you to do is walk away from being a Baptist. Walk away from being a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, a Lutheran, a Catholic, whatever it is you claim is your religious fame, and follow Jesus. Do not settle for Hebraic studies when you can have the Master Hebrew. Don't settle for VBS when you can have intimacy. Teach your kids about the one who loved you enough to die for you. Lay down religion with God. It would not be possible to even preach that message without Jesus Christ. Father God, thank you for making knowing you possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Taken in remembrance of him. I'm going to pray for Vacation Bible School this week. I'm going to ask our elders to make their way to the door. We're going to take our benevolence offering today. 
at the door as you leave, if you're able, uh, we receive money to help those in our church who are having a difficult time. 95% of it goes to just church, and then sometimes we help people with food and gas from the community, but we have other ministries we're involved in there. But brothers and sisters, this week something very significant is going to happen. We're going we're gonna to share Christ with the kids. And what's just as significant is we're going to share Christ with saved kids too. These folks that have been leading in worship are going to teach our kids about worship and knowing God and walking with Him and, and all that comes with that. But if they leave this week and they come home and you're not living it out in your, in your home, they're going to learn that religion is for Sundays and Wednesdays and VBS. It's not for home. Please, teach your kids that knowing Jesus Christ is a moment-by-moment -moment thing. When you rise up and lie down as you go by the wayside, as you walk in your gate and as you walk out, that's, that's what it means to walk with God. Lord, I pray for Vacation Bible School this week and our student ministries that are coming up. Thank you for camp of this past week. We thank you for the activities, the Bible studies, sun worshipers that's going to be going on and all the ministries that are overseen by Mark Dubose and Jeff and Alicia. We pray for all of the adults that will be involved in these ministries that you would bless them and Father, for the clear staff as they're with us this week, may they not be teachers of the word, may they be doers of the word, may they not be just sharing what scripture teaches, but may they be living it, and may they be transformed in our presence as we are transformed in the presence of the living God. In your holy name we pray, amen. God bless you, have a great week.